So we're doing sermon number two in our sermon series called The Dangers of a Shallow Church. The Dangers of a Shallow Church. There is certainly a pandemic in America. There's a different pandemic. There's a pandemic of shallowness and superficiality in our culture and even in our church. I think it would be safe to assume that it's all around us. Everywhere you look, you see a lot of shallowness, a lot of superficiality. Months ago, of course, I've been grieved over this for a long time. And as a pastor, I have been searching and devote myself to prayer. Sometimes I spend hours, can't sleep at night, trying to fix the problem of people being so shallow. It's so disheartening. The superficiality of people. Obviously, I'm going to convey my heart to you, but I've already battled this for months. I've already spent hours in prayer, literally, searching the Scriptures of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm convinced that what we see around us is not what God intended the church to be. And so I want you to open your heart because if your heart is not open, then you cannot receive. I want you to do self-evaluation of your life. I don't mean to be a preacher of bad news or have a pity party or put a downer on the service because I love services where it's exciting and where we lift our voices. I like exciting services. But I also realize that if we're going to grow as a people, then we can't have dessert all the time. There has to be some vegetables on the plate sometime. We can't have cookies and cake and ice cream. Sometimes we just got to get to the nitty gritty and see what the Word says. And I believe that the Bible is our roadmap for success in this life. And so I want you to listen to my heart I've already preached it to myself. I, I listen, I'm a work in progress. I don't judge you this morning. The reason I don't judge you this morning is because I'm still on trial myself. There is a lot of weaknesses and faults and failures in my own life. I don't even try to convey that I understand it all or that I've even made it. I'm not even saying that I don't have shallow places in my life. I'm saying to you that I feel like I should be a mailman. I should be a watchman on the wall. I should blow the trumpet. I should lead an army and let you know that life could be better and that there's something deeper to Christianity than what we have experienced. Yes, yes, there is a pandemic in the church. The American church is filled with people who are spiritually starving. We have stuffed ourselves with every physical comfort and pleasure. We have fattened bodies and famished souls. We have successfully, successfully birthed a generation in the church where people are addicted to video games, iPhones, movies, 
entertainment, yet they have no real desire and appetite to even know God. We have replaced the power of God with convenience, a seeker-friendly church. It's all around us, isn't it? I mean, even in our culture, sex is free and love is expensive. We live in a culture where people experience pain if they lose their cell phone, but yet they're not bothered by losing their virginity before marriage. Our clothes and our perspectives decide the value of a person. Money and jobs are more important than church attendance, family, and friends. Children leave home because of a momentary self-gratification moment. They leave all behind their father and their mother. People love having sex, but they're afraid of marriage. I think you get the point this morning. We live in a shallow generation. Churches, it seems like sometimes, they're, they're not places of worship. Rather, they're almost dating centers where I could pick up the next person. Bathrooms and church services are nothing but photographic studios. We write people off if they have a different political agenda or view. If they don't view it our way, then somehow they're wrong. But I have learned in life that you always got to be teachable because you're not always right. If you tell somebody the truth, they put a black check mark to your name. They confuse confrontation with criticism. They don't understand the difference. They don't understand a critical spirit versus critical thinking. If you're any critical in your thinking, they back off and think that you have a critical spirit. They don't have enough processing to understand that growth actually happens by having a critical mind, not a critical spirit. You see, we put more faith in TV prophets more than we do our own pastor and written scriptures. We're shallow. Our fundamental problem in America is not a moral problem. It is a spiritual problem. And let me say this, because I think it's worth saying, that Jesus didn't come to accommodate us. He came to change us. Can I just say that again? He did not come to accommodate you. He didn't come to make you feel better. He came to change you. The reason that there is a gospel is because there is a judgment to come. The church is either a hospital or a hospice center. You see, have you ever noticed the difference between them two? A hospital is to make you feel better, is to heal you, to bring healing to your body, while the hospice center just makes you comfortable in dying. The great theologian J.C. Ryle said it like this, and I quote, listen to this. 
Let me warn everyone who wants to be saved not to be content with the world's standard of Christianity. Surely no man with his eyes open can fail to see that Christianity in the New Testament is something far higher and deeper than the Christianity of the most professing Christians. That formal, easy, going, do little thing, which most people call religion, is evidently not the religion of the Lord Jesus. The things which he praises are not to be praised by the world. The things which he blames are not the things in which the world sees no harm. If you would follow Christ, do not be content with the world's Christianity. Tremble, tremble, and repent. I feel like He expressed it very well. You see, I'm convinced this morning, church, that Christianity is more than what you see in the modern day church. And it's certainly more than what the culture has to offer. Christianity is not a Bible verse tattooed to your arm. Christianity is not some kind of cool Hillsong lyric Christianity is not a one line on your Instagram bio. Christianity, in essence, is this. It's dying to yourself and living a fully obedient life to Christ. You see, true Christianity is never a popular Christianity. As a matter of fact, it has never been popular. True Christianity is only accepted by a few and rejected by many. The words of Jesus is still the same. That straight is the way, narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's not a popular way to travel. It's not celebrated by the masses. Nobody likes to hear the words, die to yourself. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be challenged in their thinking. No one wants to be pushed out of the box to grow and to be better and to be all that you can be. It's a shame to live your whole life and let everybody use you except for God. True Christianity is the rejection of sin, Satan, and the world. That's true Christianity. You see, Richard Foster, one of my favorite books, wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline. And he said it like this, and I quote, The desperate need today is not for a great number of intellect, uh, intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. For deep A.W. Tozer said it like this. The deeper life is deeper only because the average Christian is tragically shallow. You see, listen to Pastor Josh this morning. Christianity isn't empty. It really isn't. Christianity isn't dull. It isn't void. It isn't lifeless and powerless. It's more than just a surface-level confession of creeds and attendance to a church. Christianity has depth to it. 
to it. There is a deepness to Christianity. There's a gravity and a dimension to Christianity that few of us have ever experienced. And if you're going to make it, especially in 2021, then your Christianity is going to be, have to be more than just church attendance and quoting creeds and maybe attending a Bible study here and there and maybe tipping here and there in a church service. It's more than that. Your Christianity has to penetrate the very fiber of your life. It has to affect your beliefs. It has to affect your values. It has to affect your behavior. It has to affect your confession. It has to affect your marriage and your relationships and your decisions and your profession and how you raise your kids. It has to be deeper than just attending church. I have learned one thing because I'm still on trial myself. I'm still learning. I've learned one thing that much of my learning to follow Jesus is really learning to unfollow myself. You see what I'm saying? I've really learned that that's the essence. I'm trying to unfollow myself. A great preacher said it like this, and I think I agree with him. He said, before you can pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. That Archbishop Fulton Sheen, the great bishop, 1960 of the Catholic Church, very conservative, saved, did great work for God. In his book he said, and I quote, most people want a religion which suits the way they live rather than the one which makes demand upon them. Now this is a Catholic bishop. Religion thus becomes a luxury like an opera, not a responsibility like life. That's a problem when even Catholics realize we're shallow. You see, you've got to understand that as a believer, that there's no such thing as the secular and the spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. Can I say that again? There is no such thing as a separation of the secular versus the spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. E.M. Bounds said it like this. He said, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better people. What the church needs today is not machinery, not new organizations or more methods, but men who the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer, mighty men in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He doesn't anoint plans, but men, mighty men in prayer. Do you see what I'm seeing today? Do you see that there is an urgency to live a life that's deeper than what you're experiencing? You see, it's hard for us to take, but you have to understand something that as a believer, if you allow God 
to encourage you by the preaching of the word, then you got to let it to correct you the same manner that it encourages you. Can I say that again? It would be hypocrisy for us just to only celebrate those things which encourages us in the Bible. If you allow it to encourage you, if you're a believer, you have to allow it to correct you at the same time. You see, the church is like a swimming pool. Most of the noise comes from the shallow end. Can I say that again? Y'all ain't shouting. The church is like a swimming pool. Most of the noise comes from the shallow end. People who have substance don't have time for drama. They're busy working on their life. People who have depth don't gossip about people. Something about people that have depth, they have priorities. People that have depth about their life, they're a, they're a, a river, not a reservoir. I believe, I honestly believe this, that in my prayer, in my devotion time with God, I know that shallowness and superficiality is everywhere. I understand that. And I know that you got to fight against the culture. And if you're going to swim upstream, it's going to take some work. It doesn't take no work to go downstream. It doesn't take no work to paddle downstream. It takes a lot of work to paddle upstream against the current. And I am a firm believer that although there is a pandemic of shallowness and superficiality in our culture, and even in some churches, emphasis some, there is revival and discipleship going on in some parts of the world. There are, there are wheat growing. The tares are not going to overtake the wheat. God's going to have the last say in the end. There is still hope beyond the scope of human limitations because, listen, every time I read the Bible, you will see a culture in the Scriptures of shallowness, superficiality, lawlessness, and sin. And it's rampant. But also, if you search the Scriptures, it seems to me that there's always a group of people who are defying the odds, who are hungry, that's pushing against the culture, that's running upstream and refuse to be labeled by the culture. And I believe that I'm talking to a group of people in Galena that refuses to be labeled by the culture and by the modern day church world because there's a voice on the inside of you saying, I don't want to be in the shallow waters any longer. There he is. Do you, do you remember, do you remember the vision? Do you remember the vision that the prophet Ezekiel had? The Bible says he took a line in his hand and he walk, walked out into the water and he measured the waters. He looked up and saw a river flowing to the temple. 
And he went out, the prophet went out to measure it. And when he measured it, it said the waters were to his ankles. He went out further and he said, I measured another thousand cubits and the waters were to my knees. He went out and measured some more and the waters were to the hips. He went out further and he measured it. And the Bible says it was a river he could not pass over. He was, he, he was swimming in the river. Now I know that that has a context and interpretation concerning Israel and the blessing of God and restoring the temple. But the application to you and I is this. That as you walk with God, you shouldn't go backwards to shallow waters. You should progress to deeper levels. If you are the same person today that you were last year, you're not growing. If, you're, if your mind has not grown in appreciation of Scripture and hunger for it, if your heart doesn't want to be in groups and corporate worship, if you're not serving in the church, hands, and you're not telling the gospel with your feet, head, heart, hands, and feet, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your head, heart, hands, and feet. That's the greatest commandment. Love him with all your strength. Love him with all your mind. If you're not growing in those areas, we've got to take self-evaluation of our lives. You see, the characteristics of a shallow person. The characteristics of a shallow person. Before I do that, let me remind you from last week. There's four different types of people in Scripture. There's the sinner. That's the person without any spiritual inclination. Then there is the seeker. That's the person that's looking for truth and has a desire to know. That could be a dangerous spot. You could seek and find yourself in Mormonism and find yourself in false doctrine, false heresies. But if you're seeking for the true God, God will reveal himself to you. There's the sold out believer. That's the person who is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And then there's the shallow person. A person who imitates Christ only to the point of convenience. No depth, superficial. There are characteristics of a shallow person. Number one, the first characteristic is that they follow their preferences over convictions. The characteristic of somebody who is shallow is that they follow their preferences instead of convictions. Let me say this, church. These people have the tendency to follow whatever seems to be the most exciting at the moment. You see, their life is defined by feelings. If they don't feel like going, they're not going. If they don't feel like talking to you, they are not going to talk to you. If they feel like, if they don't feel like reading the Bible, they're not going to do it. If they don't feel like a going to that, they're not going to do it. Their life is is defined by how they feel. And that is a very shallow and superficial person. The mark of somebody that is mature in Christ is the ability to remain consistent to your commitments long after the emotions have been expressed. That is the mark of a Christian, 
a consistent Christian. The ability to remain consistent and persistent long after the emotions have passed. Emotions will make you sign up. They'll never make you show up. Life is more than just emotions. Emotions are real, but sometimes they're not factual. Emotions and feelings should never be a guide in your life. They could be a gauge, not a guide. Don't use your feelings as a guide. A gauge, maybe, but not a guide. You hear people say, I'm not making that decision because I don't feel peace about it. Some of the decisions I made, I never had peace about it. I just had to trust the Lord in the midst of craziness and realize that God was going to take care of me. It's not always about feeling peace. It's not always about feeling something. Sometimes you've got to do it just because it's the right thing to do. You are called to be righteous, not right. And that will take care of a lot of problems in the church, in relationships. If you just realize you, once you become a Christian, you don't have no right to hold up your banner and say, I got rights. You, the only right you have is to be a slave to righteousness. A slave to righteousness. You see, being moved emotionally is different than being changed spiritually. As Pentecostals, I like emotions. Now, why do I like emotions? I'm not unbalanced, I don't think. I do believe that God gave you emotions because you are an emotional person. They're okay to be expressed. They're okay to express it in worship. It's okay to express emotions to people because you're an emotional person. You have a soul. You have emotions. But you're also a spirit. And the spirit is to be king over the soul. It's okay to express it. But when emotions control the spirit, then that's when it's a problem. You see, do you know the scripture that Jesus said, the parable that I reiterate, I, I talked about last week. I just want to mention it this week. Remember the scripture, Matthew 13, verse 18. I want you to see the scripture, if they can pull it up for me. Matthew chapter 13, and beginning with verse number 18. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Listen to the words of Jesus. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Emotions. Yet he has no root in himself. He only endures for a while. For when tribulation, persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He is saying when something else that comes in your life that is more emotional, then the experience that you had, you will succumb to that emotion. Tribulation, persecution, it's emotional. When that is stronger than the joy that you experienced, you're going to succumb to it. He has no root in himself. That tells me it's possible to serve Jesus and in the end, 
forfeit your salvation. You can be saved as long as you want to be saved. If you can choose to follow Jesus, you can also say you don't want to choose to follow Him. They had no root. Fell away. You see, he received it with joy, but he had no root in himself. You see, we become so used to our preferences instead of convictions. What is convictions? That's what we call a principled life. It's called values. It's called a standard. The standard and the values really come from the scriptures that are written. The Bible is our roadmap. And that is why I have for the last weeks encouraged you to read the Bible. This year, we're going to read the New Testament. If you read five chapters a week, by the end of the year, you would have read the whole New, Test New Testament. Last year, I encouraged you to read the whole Bible. And we had 30 people that read the whole Bible. Thank God for that. I am asking you as a church, let's be a Bible-reading church. I'm asking you, put the Bible in you. If you don't like to read, listen to it on your phone. When you're going to work, let the Word speak to you. I, you may be even in the bathroom as you're shaving, but just put it on. Get the Word inside of you. Let the Word be a roadmap for you. Let it be your standard. Let it be your conviction. Let it be your roadmap. Look at the Bible as the book that was written to you from God as a love letter. See, when there is change in you, there'll be change around you. And that's why people say, boy, I wish I could move to Hawaii. It, it ain't going to be better because you've got to live with you. Well, I I, I, there ain't nothing to do in Joplin. I would, what do you want to do? You've got to live with you. Nobody can do it but you. Number two, I'm doing good. I got six minutes left. Are y'all proud of me? Maybe it's because I got a new iPad. It helped me out. Number two, a characteristic of a shallow person is that their worldview is more secular than Christian. Now, just listen to Pastor. What do I mean by a worldview? I mean, this is what I mean by it. I'm just going to break it down. I just simply mean this. How do you interpret the things of life? What is the lens by which you see things? What is your value system? In other words, how do you look at abortion? How do you look at homosexuality and fornication? How do you look at wars and terrorists? What's your view of the political system of the world? I could go on and on and give you a list of things. What's your view about stem cell research? On and on. You have a view. As a matter of fact, you have an opinion. You sit down at night and you turn on the TV and you listen to the president. You have a view. You listen to them debating about things, not just government, but other things. Abortion is a main topic. Same-sex marriage is a same uh, hot topic. On and on. You have a view. You have an opinion. And most of the time, our opinion changes if we love somebody. 
our opinion is adjusted a little bit. Now, I understand that because we love people. I understand that. But I am saying this, is that if we're going to be a Christian who is rooted, then we have to be consistent. The way we interpret the events of life, how do you interpret death? The Scripture gives us an answer. And when you begin to read the Scriptures and devote yourself to the reading of Scripture, your mind begins to change and the events that's happening in life, you begin to interpret it through the lens of Christian theology. Through a biblical lens, you see things differently. When I am sitting, when I'm at the hospice and I'm holding somebody's hand, the world can interpret it as that person when they die, that's the end of them. But since I'm a Christian, I have a different set of lens. And as I'm holding to the person that's dying, I can lift my voice to God and rejoice because I know that my lens, my interpretation tells me that death is not the end. It's not the end. When you see tornadoes and wars and rumors of wars, what's your interpretation? The scripture says that Satan is the God and the prince of the air. He's the one that sends those things. Not God. Saint, this is Satan's dominion. That is why you've got to pray. Because Satan's dominion is the prince and power of the air. So when you pray, you're inviting God to invade the dominion of the devil. How do you interpret life? What is your value system? I promise you, I think it would be safe to assume that if a Mormon and Jehovah Witness would debate you with Scripture, 80% of us would lose. Because we would shut the door and say, I don't have time. You see, the lead singer of Skillet, which is a Christian rock band, said it best. He said it best in his book, and I quote, my conclusion for the church and all of us Christians is we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders and influencers and cool people and relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me. I've been saying this for 20 years and seemed probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we're in the danger that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to a 20-year-old worship singer as the source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teaching of the Word of God. We'll flock out a concert to watch somebody with spiked hair and Jenny, uh, skinny jeans sing a Christian song that we don't even know is biblical because we haven't studied the scriptures and we'll shout over that. And we'll come to our own church and sit there with our arms folded. Because it's not cool enough. You don't got the best lights. I want to say this. I'm not against lights, nor am I against skinny jeans. If you can wear it, baby, wear it. If you can put yourself in it, that's fine. Suck it up, suck it in, whatever you got to do. I am not against it. I'm not against, 
I'm not against lights, screens. I'm not against any of it. Not. But this is the thing. If we take it all away, is Jesus still enough? Is Jesus still enough? Is Jesus still enough? Being a Christian doesn't change what you deal with. It changes how you deal with it. It doesn't change what you deal with. It changes how you deal with it. You see, Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue. In other words, listen church, if you're going to push out of the shallowness of your Christianity, you've got to do something. You've got to take the responsibility. It's not going to happen just because you have a desire for it. You've got to add to your faith. You can have all the desire in the world, but that doesn't mean anything. Lastly, number three, the characteristic of somebody that is shallow is they're always hearing, but never bearing fruit. Never bear. They're hearing it, but they never bear fruit. They hear it, but they don't bear fruit. Look at Matthew 13, 23. Matthew 13, verse 23. Matthew 13, verse 23. But he who has received the seed on good ground is he that hears the word, understands it, indeed bears fruit, produces a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. In other words, do you see the progression? You should be growing hundred, sixty, thirty. You should, you should, there should be some sort of development in you. It's not enough just to hear it. You got to bear fruit, and fruit is the visible sign, something visible about your life that you've been with Jesus.